Good to see you. It's been a while. The elders asked Young and I when we first uh, began worshiping here, what do you plan <clears throat> to do here? And my answer was that we plan to encourage the brethren and to also be encouraged. And you all have kept your end of the bargain uh, exceedingly well. And we thank you for that. You're lovable. You're lovable people. And I, uh, I love each and every one of you. And there's not a thing you can do about that. We want to talk about our lives here on this earth. We are pilgrims here. We're strangers. We are not meant to be here. I think it's very interesting when we look back uh, at Genesis, the 23rd chapter, Abraham <clears throat> felt that he also was a stranger and a sojourner. He went to the sons of Heth and asked for a place to bury uh, his beloved Sarah. Well, we'll have some pictures to look at in a minute. Well, as you can tell, I am uh, <clears throat> electronically impaired <clears throat> with these newfangled gadgets. Back in my days, we had sheets and we knew uh, exactly what was going to be up there and how it would be. But we go back to Abraham. Uh, he was journeying uh, into the promised land. This is the only land, only part of the promised land that he ever owned was the grave for Sarah and uh, himself later on. And he said, I am a stranger and a sojourner in this land. Abraham was a Bedouin nomad. And if you go uh, to the Middle East these days, uh, if you would have a desire to do that these days, uh, in, particularly in the fall, you would see the Bedouins traveling across the desert and uh, unlike Abraham, they now have RVs, uh, air-conditioned, but they travel across in the cooler part of the year that they can uh, feed their sheep. And if you go to the areas where the Bedouins are uh, camped out, you can scrape your feet on the sand and the little blades of grass will pick up and the sheep know where to find that. And so Abraham took his flocks and wandered wherever God sent him. Strangers and sojourners, Abraham was. Abraham had nothing here on this earth to tie him down. He had no farm for his animals. He had no specific spot and place that he could settle down and milk his sheep, care for them, his camels, uh, and other animals and possessions that he had, he simply wandered. Well, why did he do that? Well, if we go over to Hebrews in uh, chapter 11, it says that he was searching for something else, something that was not part of this world. By faith, it says he uh, went out to a place to receive his inheritance, that which God had promised him. And he left not knowing where he was going. 
Has anyone here in the audience tonight ever gone anywhere that you didn't really know where you were going? Not many times. Sometimes maybe if you just wanted to get away or drive out in the country or whatever, you may have done that or take a new passage. But Abraham trusted <coughs> and devoted himself to what God commanded him to do and to guide him where he would go because he was looking for something better. It says he was as a stranger in a foreign land, but he was looking for a city which foundations were built by the living God. He was looking for something better. And we share that common goal tonight. We are traveling to a place that God has prepared for us. It is a beautiful place. And so we must put up with the things that we deal with here on this earth. <clears throat> David makes two interesting points in Psalm 39. And the first one found in uh, verse uh, 4 and 5, I think he's talking about our human condition. What we deal with here on this earth where he says, <clears throat> Lord, let me know my end and what's the extent of my days. And let me know how transient, I like that word, how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days like a hand width and my life as nothing in your side. And that's our condition. There's an old song that we used to sing, <clears throat> people my age, I don't know if you sing it nowadays or not, but tempted and tried, I'm oft made to wonder how it should be, why it should be thus all the day long. And we deal with things. We deal with the brevity of life. We deal with the uncertainty of life. And we certainly deal with sin and temptation. But on down in uh, verse 12, uh, David says, uh, Hear my prayer, Lord, and listen to my cry for help. My prayer, my Lord, uh, uh, do not be silent to my tears, for I'm a stranger to you. I am a stranger to you, one who lives abroad like all my fathers. And I think he's paying uh, attention here to his relationship to God and that relationship not only that he has with God, but that of his fathers as well. God is the bright light in this dark world. And the nature of temptation and the nature of this world pulls at us. Sometimes uh, you hear TV preachers uh, and sometimes people on social media uh, talk about uh, they want to kick around the devil. They want to uh, push at him and, and tease him. You're not going to push the devil around. Satan is more powerful than you are. Satan is wiser than you are. And Satan is more cunning than we are. I'm not saying that Satan is omniscient like God, but Satan knows somehow the right buttons to push and the right time to push them to convince us to give up that city that we're looking for. And so we as strangers here in this world, we have no 
reason to be here other than to serve God. We have nothing while we're here. And we have established nothing when we leave. And whatever we have that is established when we leave, however the world may see it as permanent, whatever legacy we may have is not very long for existence. And so as we looked in First Peter, Peter said, uh, such is the will of God that by doing right, we silence ignorant people. By doing good things, by being lights in the world, we become different from the world. We become something that is not like the world. And we put others to silence. Those who say there is no good and no God, rather, don't understand in order for there to be evil, there must be good. And in order for there to be good, there must be evil. These forces, these forces at work to try and destroy us are very active. They're very powerful. And just when we think we're the strong Christians that we may think we are, Satan comes along and proves to us that we're not. And so we have to be separated from it. We can't acknowledge it as being part of our lives. We have to separate ourselves from uh, this sort of thing. Doing his will is what separates us. That's how we're separated from the world. We shouldn't think like the world. We shouldn't talk like the world. We shouldn't live like the world or act like the world. We should be that peculiar people that we were intended to be as a light to the darkness in the world. The moment that we begin to be comfortable in this world is the moment when we've gone back to where we once were. And we do that not with any animosity, not with any hate for the people of this world, but as a warning sign, as a plea, as a beacon to come and know what we know. And so these forces at work, if we don't resist them, if we don't run away from them, if we don't try to be like the world, we can defeat those forces through Jesus Christ and our Father God. There's no fence sitting here. There's, there's, there's no, well, I serve God sometimes today and then, well, I'll give in to this a little bit because, you know, the Lord wants me to have fun. We can't sit on the fence. There is none. You either serve God or you serve Satan. That's just how it is. That's just how it is. We look back at these forces that uh, attack Job. You remember Job as he went before God. God says, have you considered my servant Job? How good he is and how faithful he is. What was Satan's reply? Well, Job's that way because he knows which side of the bread is buttered. He knows that you've been good to him. He, you know, you built a hedge around him. Nothing can hurt him. But you take those things away from him and see what he does. And you know, that same conversation goes on about us today. At our weakest point, Satan chooses to attack. 
This is a difficult war that we're in. And we don't understand it. We understand the, the nature of physical war. We see in these past few weeks how horrible war is. We see that it includes death and brutality and maiming and all sorts of uh, things that turn our stomachs and our hearts. But you know, the war that we all are engaged in, that we don't pay attention to, that war takes souls. Yes, it can take your lives. But the bad thing about the spiritual war and the war that we are involved in against this world and against Satan and the powers of the world is far more grievous and heinous than physical war. And so when we look at being separated from it, that means we have to train ourselves. We have to build ourselves up just as these soldiers uh, here on the earth are training for war and how to survive war. We are training tonight and this morning and as often as we meet, as often as we pray, as often as we encourage each other. We're training ourselves to encourage one another and to build one another up and in doing so build our own selves up and gain strength and knowledge. God's love for us is not a general one. It's a specific love with a purpose and a goal. God's love for us is that we survive this war. God's love for us as, is as we present ourselves to Him as sanctified, as holy and set apart from this world. The angel Gabriel knew how hard it was to fight against Satan and she knew or he knew how strong Satan was and how powerful he was. And so when we go back to Jude and look in verse 9, we find the account that the archangel simply said, the Lord rebuke you. And that's who we must turn to. In his love, he wants to protect us. He wants to save us from the things that Satan would tempt us with to take us away from the love of God. God did not originate sin on the earth. He did not send sin into this world. Sin actually began with Satan during that war in heaven that we know uh, so little about. But he committed sin and we don't know exactly what went on, but probably it was pride that sent him down to this earth. And when he came down to the earth, he decided to spread sin and God allowed it. And people say, well, why? Why did God allow that? Why would God create man knowing that this was in his image? Why would he create man and then risk having man succumb to sin and maybe go to hell? Well, it wasn't just to redeem us from the plan that he already had, 
but it was to change us and to make us better. Satan does not want to make us better. Satan wants to destroy us. God wants to make us better. He wants us to be with him and we have to be better in order to be there. In the temptation in the garden, man had been given a very special privilege. We have this special privilege of being able to choose whether or not we want to serve God or not. Adam and Eve, they had that same choice. They had the choice of obeying that one commandment that God had given them. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the law for them. And they had the choice of staying away from it or to embrace it. That was all they had to do. And then sin came into the world by Satan, as Brother Leland talked about this morning, with everybody blaming each other and not taking responsibility. And so God allowed this prince of the world mentioned in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, this prince of the air, prince of the world, the earth in his way. Temporarily, he's been loosed. But why did he do that to man? And we, why couldn't God just say, well, I'm going to make it where man won't have to be tempted and I'm going to make it where uh, you can just live your life and, and so many years and then you can come with me. Because that wasn't part of his eternal purpose. His eternal purpose was not to make us robots or machines. His purpose was to make us his people, a people who loved him not out of intimidation, but to love him because we recognize him as our God. We see the love that he has for us in our everyday life, our provisions, our care, our understanding, our knowledge of the scripture and being able to use that in the world to those who need it. God didn't want Adam to go to hell. He had a plan. And that was his plan for man. To not escape temptation. But to escape the guilt. To escape death. And the consequences of his actions. Sin didn't come into the world from God came from Satan. And so we've answered some of those questions. We're going to continue to answer some of those questions as we go through. But his eternal purpose is for us to be tested and to be tried and to experience things that will try to destroy our goodness, to destroy our confidence, to destroy our faithfulness to our Father. And so the Lord in 2 Peter 2 and verse 9 knows how to rescue godly people from a trial and to keep the unrighteous unto punishment. God knows that. He's done that for us. He's given us his only son, Jesus Christ. He's given us his word as a guideline of how we should react 
how we should repent, how we should be His people, loving Him, not again out of intimidation or any sort of outside force, but to love Him because He loves us. Love requires a reaction. Love requires an answer to I love you. And we can either say I love you too, or we can say I don't. Sometimes that's been said to us, hasn't it? And so God wants man to volunteer to love him. It's a volunteer operation. It's not something that we have to do. Well, if I don't do it, you know, I'm not going to go to heaven. If I don't do it, God's not going to love me. If I don't do it, and we, and we have all these reasons to argue with that, but the plain and simple fact is God loves each and every one of you. God loves each and every sinner. God loves every single homeless person, every poverty-ridden person, every Arab, every European, every Asian, every Hispanic, every one that you could name. And he wants all to come to repentance. And so we're all pilgrims. Whether we're sinners or we're saved, we're pilgrims. You could use other words. We're transient people. We're dislocated people. We're travelers. Again, this world holds nothing for us. How about Jesus? We talk about how hard we have it. We look back at the temptation of Christ. How hard was it on Jesus? Do we think sometimes that, well, God sent Jesus down here to have all this difficulty and to be tempted. We, he sent Jesus down here and he had such a, such a hard time, didn't have a place to, to live and people yelling at him and people disbelieving him and mocking him and finally just killing him. Did he do that so Jesus, when he got back to heaven, could just tell these stories about how difficult life is here on the earth? No. The scripture says he did it to perfect him as a high priest. He did that so that he could understand us, so that he could know us intimately in the things that we put up with here on this earth so that he could be our mediator, so he could be our counselor and talk to God on our behalf through all of these trials. We look at Abraham. Abraham was given a, a horrible test. You know, testing used to mean, or temptation used to mean just testing. But now we've included other things such as uh, our circumstances made us do that or Certain allurements made us uh, do that. We have all sorts of names for temptations and included with that are reasons that it's okay. But it's not okay. Satan's purpose is abs to absolutely destroy us. God's purpose is to make us better. And so when we look at uh, Abraham, this horrible test that he was given, God wanted to try his, his heart. To see and make sure that he was the one through whom the promise would come. We look back in Deuteronomy. God tested 
many people there in Genesis and Deuteronomy tested his children in the desert. And he says there in Deuteronomy that he gave them manna so he could see what was in their hearts. You're never going to see if something works unless you, unless you test it. If you don't take it out of its nice, clean, protective box and put it up on your desk, you're never going to know how it's going to work when you turn it on. What's going to happen if some drinks are spilled on it? What happens if your dog gets in and chews it up? You got to test it. David said, I can't go out and fight Goliath with this armor. I, I haven't tested it. I don't know uh, how it fits or how it works or how, how to put it together. But Abraham uh, was to sacrifice his son. And the scripture says he got up early to do that. He got up early to do what God had told him to do. And this thing is horrible. Think about if God had, had said to you, won't you take your son, your only son, and not only your only son, but the one through whom I said, all nations are going to be blessed and, and ended. Well, Abraham didn't know probably why, but he did it knowing that God in his wisdom knew what he was doing. And he did it. And we know the story that the angel stayed his hand. And God said in Genesis twenty-two sixteen through 18, by myself I have sworn declares the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and of the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall inherit the gates of their enemies and your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you obeyed my voice. Going back to temptation of, uh, the temptation of Christ, what kept Christ from sinning? It is written. It was automatic. It is written. How did Jesus answer those who tempted him with questions about what he was teaching? Have you not read? It is written. Have you not read? It was not in the beginning. We answer with God's word. And so James 1 and verse 12, James talks a lot about patience and trials and temptations. And in verse 12, he says, oops, blessed is the man who perseveres. Now pay attention to that word, perseveres under trial. Sometimes we go back to uh, Jesus' model prayer and we misunderstand that. Jesus said, Deliver us from temptation. Now, what's Jesus saying there? Is he saying, Lord, things are getting hot here. Things are, things are, I'm, I'm starting to sweat and I don't know if I can just take everything away from me. Just don't let me have temptation. He's saying, deliver me from temptation. James says, once uh, we have been approved or we have endured temptation, will receive the crown of life. But we are to endure temptation. Young people and old people, again, like Leland said this morning, you can put yourself wherever you want to be. 
If somebody's whispering in your ear, boy, you fail all the time. You, you ought to know that. You ought to have done that. You're just no good. You're never going to make it. I don't know why you keep attending services. I don't know why you keep at it, keep praying. You're never going to make it. That's not God whispering in your ear. That wasn't God whispering in Job's ear when the voice said, just curse God and die and get it over with. Sometimes we do that. That's not God. That's Satan. He's the one who's whispering defeat in our ear. God is whispering victory. And so we all, here's another verse that we often uh, misinterpret. And that's 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. And so we say, well, see, I'm being tempted. Everybody else is being tempted. God knows that. It's written in the, in, in the book there. So that's that majority thinking. You know, I'm in the majority. Everybody else is doing it, so it's okay with me. Did you ever tell your mom and dad everybody else is doing it? Oh, I did. Again, I'll never do that again. Everybody's doing it does not mean we can do it. And Paul goes on to say, God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And we misinterpret that. We say, well, God, here I am. I'm being tempted. You got to get me out of here. You got to uh, uh, take this away from me. Well, God may not take that away from you. He has a purpose. And so he says, yeah, I'm not going to let you be tempted beyond what you're able, but with this temptation, I'm going to provide a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. We've got to read that last two phrases. So that you can escape from it and so that you'll be able to endure that temptation. What does enduring enable us to do? To do? Gain victory. To come to God, to experience it, and to tell our brethren. Jesus, you remember, prayed and told, as he told uh, Peter on that dark night. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed. I've prayed that when you come back, that you'll strengthen your brothers. And that's what he expects out of us. Peter endured the humiliation of, and shame of what he did. But when he came back, oh, as we read uh, in Acts and Peter, his epistles, what a great man he had become. And so how do we escape and endure temptation as we close uh, our lesson and bring it to a close? Leland had some R's this morning, and so I thought it only fitting that I bring some R's. Just a big sale on R's down at Big Lots today. So, so we, we had those. Well, we have to, uh, first of all, train ourselves to endure it. Just like soldiers have to train themselves to endure bad weather and long days and long nights and exhaustion and fear and all of those things, we have to do the same things. We have to train ourselves. We have to do it with prayer. 
In Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 34, Jesus told us to pray. And he told his disciples the night he was betrayed, pray that you enter not into temptation. And we need to pray that prayer, not with the attitude that we're never, ever tempted, because we need that in order to accomplish God's plan and to strengthen ourselves and to build our confidence and to stay the course. But we need to pray and we need to pray and we need to pray for each other, for ourselves, for sinners. We need to pray. We don't put that at the top of our list. Sometimes we say, uh, I wish I could do some, do more for you, uh, but I've been praying. Well, isn't that good? I think the best thing you can tell someone, the most uplifting thing and the most powerful thing is that I've been praying for you. I send a little card sometimes uh, when I write letters that says I said a little prayer for you today because I love you. We ought to do that and mean it. We ought to pray. Secondly, we need to love the brethren. We need to love each other. We need to spend time with each other. We need to love in the sense that whatever you need, I'm there. Whatever time of the day or night, I'm there. I love you and I mean it and there's nothing you can do about it. And we ought to show that. Acts 14 and verse 22. Love the brethren. We ought to spend more time with each other, oughtn't we? Well, we say, well, I just spent Wednesday and this morning. I'm here now. You want me to, you want us to come here seven days a week and sit here? Well, it, Probably wouldn't be practical, but it wouldn't be a bad idea either. We need to know each other. We need to know each other's likes. We need to know each other's state of where we are. We need to not be snoopy, but as brothers and sisters, know one another. Speak to one another. Tell by their faces when they've had a hard day or when they're undergoing difficult trials and ask them, and comfort them. Thirdly, we need to draw near unto God. Draw near unto God, and He will what? Draw near unto you. We need to do that not only in prayer, but we need to do that in meditation. We need to do that by reading the Scripture. And not just reading the Scripture and say, oh, that's a good point. You know, some, sometimes preachers will say, uh, well, here's a good verse. That'll fit in with my lesson next week. And, and, uh, and I like that. Boy, that'll really get those Baptists and Methodists fired up. No, that's not what study's about. And this applies not only to preachers, but also to every single one here and every single one who picks up the Scripture and reads it. We ought to read that Scripture and say, yes, that's a good point. Now, how does that apply to me? I tell you, Leland walked all over my feet this morning. He stepped, he stepped not only on my feet, but he got my, my sore ankle and my knees too. That lesson applied to me. 
And sometimes we say, well, I, I hope we can take what you say and apply it to our own condition. Do we, do we ever really do that? Do we ever, ever spend the afternoon on Sunday or Sunday evening thinking about what we just studied or what we just read and how it applies to us and what I'm going to do about it? Draw near to God in a manner that befits His children. Fourthly, we need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Richly. Not just as a Facebook post, not just as something casual to say somebody, but richly. That it becomes our guide. That it becomes what motivates our steps, our getting up in the morning and our going out into the world. And it defends us from temptation and it protects us. It is written. It is written. It is not so from the beginning. God does not want me to partake of that. And finally, spending time with our Christian family is important. I can't emphasize that too much. Now to my R's. As we close here, first, in order to resist or to uh, fight temptation, we need to resist and run. And I go back to Joseph. You remember Joseph was taunted and tormented by Potiphar's wife as he left. It wasn't just that one-time occasion, but the occasion came for Satan when it was the right time and it was the right place. And she said, come lay with me. There's the temptation. Temptation is not a sin. But the temptation was laid. And Joseph said, how can I do this thing and sin against my God? That's his reaction. His immediate reaction was to run. It says he ran. Even though she grabbed a part of his clothing, he ran. He got out of it. And yet how many times do we knowingly who have a problem with something present it to us and tempt our own selves? We may have a problem with pornography and we say, well, you know, I'll go, I need to go to the internet anyway. I'll go there peruse a little bit and I get bored with this and I get bored with that. And, oh, well, that's interesting. Or we have a problem with substance abuse or alcohol. And we say, oh, my friends are getting together. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to have a, have a Diet Coke there. And I'm just going to sit around and we'll just uh, talk together. And, and uh, maybe I can drive them home or everything. Why are you tempting yourself? I've been there. It's not going to take very long for you to say, well, I'll just have a quicker pepper up or two. We don't need to present things to ourselves casually, and yet we do it. We walk right into it. If we've got a problem with television, turn it off. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? If, you're, if your right eye offends you, do what? Pluck it out. If your right arm offends you, what do you do? Cut it off. Well, now that's, that's a radical and a violent picture of doing something, but that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. 
if there's something in our lives that is causing us to not repent and change, we need to get rid of it. Whether it be your cell phone, whether it be your computer, whether it be your television subscription, no matter what it is, magazines, whatever, get it out of your house. It doesn't belong there. And so we need to run from it. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. Our second S. We need to resolve ourselves to resist Satan. Resolution. It's not like the man who was kind of overweight and he wanted to lose some weight and go on a diet. Told his secretary he's going on a diet. Came in one morning and he had a box of donuts with him. Bunch of them been eating, had a little chocolate on his face, had a little few crumbs on his, on his shirt there. And she said, I thought you were going on a diet. He said, yeah. He said, I, I went to the donut shop and I decided I was going to let God handle it today. And I said, Lord, if there's not a parking place in front of that donut shop, I'm not going to stop there. He said, I had to drive around the block eight or nine times, but there was a parking place. Don't we do that sometime? Don't we see how close we can get to sin before we can have a problem? We ought not do that. We need to resolve, just like Ezra, just like Daniel and others resolved. They prepared their hearts. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves to God. Again, If something is bothering us, we need to radically, quickly, and effectively eliminate it from our lives. And the final R is we need to remember the price. Falling victim to temptation is going to cost us. Not drawing near to God is going to cost us. And I want you to know this because no man builds a house, Jesus said, unless he considers the cost. I want you to consider this in in our lives. It's going to cost us everything. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus talked about the person who would gain the whole world. Jesus was offered that by Satan. uh, uh, Satan told Jesus, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you all these cities and all these nations and all these kingdoms. Well, they were already his. And his father's. One moment of pleasure is going to cost everything that you have. And what will you have gained? Your gold is going to melt. Your money is going to vaporize. All the things we hold beautiful and dear and powerful and effective in our worldly lives is going to be destroyed. But for us pilgrims who remain true to God, for us travelers who are not looking for something here that is enduring or lasting, there is that great city in which we can enter in. Just as Jesus prayed for Peter, Jesus is praying for you tonight. If you're not a Christian, if you're having troubles with temptation and the 
gloom and doom, so to speak, of the world. If the world is just too much for you, we can help you by using that powerful weapon, prayer. We've got it. And we don't need anyone's permission to use it. We have the power of prayer. We have the power of love. We have the power of encouragement. And we have the power just as a father takes his child and holds its hands as they learn to walk, to stand back up, hold your hand, and help you take those steps back to the right road. We're all on a pilgrimage. We're all on a journey. And we're all going to end up at our destination. What's your destination tonight? I hope it's heaven. But if you've not been baptized in the waters of Christ, if you've never confessed His name, you need to do that tonight. And if you've wandered away, if temptation has gotten you and it's wrapped around and you're having difficulties with whatever it is, We'll be happy to help you with that too because we love you and we pray that you will react to what God has spoken tonight, that you will flee the world and run to salvation while we stand and while we sing.